we've kicked off about two weeks ago, a series called longings of the heart. Um, something we've been praying about, looking about as a team. And what we're doing in that series is looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus in the gospel of John and talking about how those statements are not only basically Jesus's declaration of who he is in his own words and connecting himself to um, God of the old Testament who revealed himself as the, I am, but also that I believe those seven statements that Jesus makes really speak to seven core longings that we have as, as humans, as individuals. Um, all that to say this morning, I feel like I actually need to pause from that series. And I'm going to talk to you about a, a different longing that's kind of been stirring in my heart and, and even been, been stirring in our community. Um, this morning, what I want to talk to you about uh, is what does it look like for us as a community to have a unified heart and vision for our Missio kids and our Missio youth? Um, for those of you that have been a part of our community, you know, another journey we've been on besides this learning how to steward this building that God has recently given to us. Uh, but also we've been on a journey of, of figuring out what does Missio Kids ministry and Missio Youth look like in this new space. And we've had some transitions in the leadership of, of Missio Kids. And um, throughout this summer, we had someone in that interim role. And right now we're in the process of, of searching for a new Missio Kids or Missio Family Ministries director. Uh, this week, I had two conversations with two candidates. We're going to do an in-person interview this week, I believe. Um, and I just, I wanted to spend some time to kind of talk about, uh, yeah, the, the heart and, and the vision for Missio kids and Missio youth. And let me give you a couple reasons why that is one, because we're in transition and in the transition, as I've had to step in a little bit and the staff team has rallied around just to provide some leadership in that in the last few weeks, uh, I've just realized, I think there's, there's some ways that in the transitions, um, and even in summer with myself being absent and us having an interim person in place, there's just a diff couple of ways where. I just feel like, yeah, we've lost maybe a holistic understanding of, of what children's ministry is, why it's important and valuable. And so I just, I wanted to speak to the heart of that and not even just kids, but also youth, uh, kind of have us think and focus this morning a little bit on, on our next generation. Can, can we do that? And I'm going to invite us all together, if we will, to kind of take the posture of kids this morning, if that's okay, to enter into this conversation with, with a real posture of, in a sense, vulnerability. Uh, even a posture of, of just humility <clears throat> to say, you know what? Yeah, this might not be a normal talk that I was expecting or hoping, longing to have talked about as we're talking about longings of the heart in this series. Um, but yeah, I think the, 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 real, the real drive and desire is just for, for us to, to think and consider um, what does it mean that God has entrusted and steward us with all the kids that are a part of this community? You know, we've, I've been asking us to think about recently, what does it mean that God has entrusted us to steward this space, right? And there's been a lot of focus there, but what does it mean that God has entrusted us as a, as a family with all these, all these kids? Um, and part of that is, is that it's tied, I'd be lying if it wasn't tied somewhat to the transition in this building. Uh, if you know the story of this building, um, this building, this property uh, was purchased in 1950 from a family that owned that house that's right over there. Uh, Good Shepherd Lutheran moved in here in 1950, and that, that was the original, where our kids' space is, that was, that was the original sanctuary. This that we sit in now is, was built in 1958. And they were a vibrant, thriving community for many, many years. It was packed, looked similar to this probably. But part of the reason why we, this last year, were able to acquire this building or it was entrusted and given to us honestly, was that I think if I talk, as I talked to Pastor Tim, it was that somewhere along the line, they lost 
a vision and an understanding of how they were to steward the younger generations given to them. Is that, you're tracking with me there? If we don't talk about this, and if we don't have a clear understanding of what our vision and our mission and our purpose is for the next generations that God has entrusted to us, even those that have yet to be reached in our broader community with the gospel, y'all, in 20, 30 years, we're going to be Good Shepherd Lutheran handing off this very property and everything else to somebody else. You tracking with me? Now, everything has a natural life cycle, so I'm not condemning them. I'm not judging them. Pastor Tim, I've talked very honestly and clearly about this, but I think that is, it's, it's something I had to think about. Again, as we step in to steward this space, how did, we, how did it land in our hands? God's providence, God's goodness, yes, 100%. But there's also ways in things that they lost vision and understanding of mission as a whole, but also of missional stewardship of the younger generations that God had entrusted to them. And so that's why I feel it's important that we talk about this this morning. And I want to start by asking you this question. What's your greatest desire and longing for the kids of our Missio family? As you sit here as part of this community, or even as a visitor, and you think about next generations, what's your greatest desire and longing for the kids of our Missio family? Go ahead and turn to someone next to you and, and, and just share something. Online, you can throw it in the chat box. All right, I'm going to bring it back. One of the things I want you to notice about that question is that I didn't ask you what's the greatest desire and longing that you have for your own kids. But what I asked you to think about and consider there is what's your greatest longing and desire for the kids of our Missio family? Because I believe that if you're part of this family, then the kids that have been entrusted to this family are all of ours to steward together. Not just those that are parents, not just those that are longing to parents, not just those who are out of the, the parenting stage of little ones and beyond, but all of us, if we are part of this community and called to this family together, then we are called to steward together every life that is entrusted to us but in, in particular with the kids of, 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 of our community. Does that make sense? And so I want to talk about that a little bit today. And I, there's two places I want to open up in scripture and look at. And then I want to talk today, yeah, not just scripturally and theologically, but also practically about a couple of things uh, as we look at this this morning. And I want to start off by going to a, a passage in the epistle of 3 John, which might seem weird and odd, but I, I want you just to jump in with me if you would. If you have your Bible, open it up. If not, it should be on the screen or uh, tracking there with you online. But this, this book is written by uh, John, who we're told is a son of Zebedee. He's the same John who is the author of the Gospel of John, the same John who is the, the author of the book of Revelation. Uh, we're told that this book, 3 John, is written in about 90 AD. So if he was a teenager, some say, when he started following Jesus, uh, he's now at this point then probably like, I don't know, in his 60s or 70s. So he's an older guy. Uh, he's, been, he's followed Jesus. He's, God has used him, inspired him by the Spirit to write books write the gospel of John, write revelation. The theme of this book, I just want to tell you up front, it's this, it's steadfastness as a disciple of Jesus in the face of opposition. Steadfastness as a disciple of Jesus in the face of opposition. And I think this applies to us as adults, 
and more. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit, how this applies to our kids. If we desire for them to be disciples of Jesus, they're growing up in an environment and a culture that is far more opposed to the gospel even than any of us. And so that's why I think it's really important that we have a unified vision and understanding of what Missio Kids is, what Missio Youth is, what goes on over there, what is our call to be involved in it for the sake of our kids becoming faithful, steadfast disciples of Jesus who know how to live and walk out the gospel in this world that is more and more growing opposed to and adverse to the gospel, which we believe. So the theme is that. Uh, there's, this, there's, a, there's a guy in particular who uh, John is writing and addressing. Um, his name is Gaius. I don't know much more about who he is, but I do know this, and I think this is important. He is not a biological son of John. John, we're told, is a son of Zebedee. Gaius, we don't know exactly who he is, but he's not John's biological son. He's just a brother and a son in the faith. And yet, here's what John writes to him. He says, the elder himself to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. Stop there just for a second. I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. John addresses there and talks to pretty much the full constitution of, of, of a person's makeup. He talks about the soul. He talks about physical health. He talks about everything else going on, his relationships, his work, all that stuff in that one sentence. I pray that all's going well with you in your relationships, in your work, and everything that's going on in your world. I pray also that you're in good health, that your physical body is well, but what does he connect it to? He says, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced, or I, I took joy over and over and over again greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Because John writes this and he says, I have no greater truth than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What does it mean to walk in the truth? When John writes that, walking in the truth means this. It means that you are embracing and you're living out the truth of the gospel. It means he, you're embracing and you're living out the truth of God's love, grace, and truth revealed in Jesus Christ. John's opening is very important here, and we're actually not going beyond his opening of this letter. John's opening is very important. Why? Again, because he talks to and he writes to. Gaius, and he speaks to him as a child. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He also calls him a brother. Uh, the word brother here, it's the Greek word plural adelphoi, and it refers to siblings in a family. In New Testament usage, and depending on the context here, it's, it's referring to either men or men and women, meaning brothers and sisters. It could also, some translations actually say brothers and sisters. Because again, he's writing to siblings within God's family in the church. You see the picture being painted here? This is John in his old age. He was a follower and disciple of Jesus. Again, Holy Spirit inspired him and he wrote scripture in different places. And here he's writing this letter and he's writing it to a church and writing it to a group. He, it's, it's addressed to Gaius, but it's to be read within community. And he's saying to this community who are not his biological children, but his children in the faith, his brothers and sisters in the faith because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the grace extended to them to become a body in a family that are accountable to one another, responsible for one another. And what John says here is, I have no greater joy, I have no greater longing, no greater desire than that my children would be walking in the truth, meaning understanding and knowing the gospel, being grounded in it and knowing how to walk and live that out in the midst of a harsh environment. Missio, that is my longing for our kids. Every single kid here. When I ask you, what is your deepest longing for the children of our Missio family? That is mine. 
that we as a body of Christ, each and every one of us, from the littlest ones to the oldest of us, that all of us as children of God, brothers and sisters called into a family by God's divine providence, that we would all walk in the truth. Do I hope that each of you is gainfully employed? I fully do. Do I hope that you have strong relationships and you have community and you have people around you and you don't suffer with loneliness, but you know that you are loved and cared for? I fully do. But my greatest longing and desire for each and every one of you is that you would be walking in the truth. That's my greatest prayer, my greatest desire, my greatest longing for you. And Missio, that's my greatest longing for every single one of the little ones that God has entrusted to us. And this morning, if there's nothing else that I say that's of value or that you hear, I pray that you would hear that and that we would rally together around that truth and that we together could be those that someday, in a sense, write a letter to any kid in this community, not because they're our biological kids, but because they have been called into this body of Christ with us. And we look at them and we take ownership of them. We take responsibility together in partnership with God and his grace. And we say, little one, whoever you are by name, I have no greater longing desire than that you would be walking in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ someday. Because miss you, if we can do that, we will have a legacy in this place and we will have a ministry out of this place and people will come to know Jesus in this place as it has been for many years, but we'll be able to carry that on in the way that I believe God has called us to. But if not, if we fail to understand that there is a stewardship and a responsibility given to us by God with all of these kids that he entrusted to us, honestly, we might as well hang up our hats and go home now in, in a sense. The other thing about this, this letter that's very important, and I, I think it's not just coming out of this, uh, this introduction here, but you see this as Yahweh displayed and reached out and called the people into relationship and engaged them in their context. And you see this, Jesus modeled this. But in this epistle and every other epistle that's written, what you see is that ministry is relational and contextual, okay? Ministry is relational and contextual. The gospel going forward is relational, it's contextual. Again, John writes here out of, out of deep relationship, this, this belovedness, this, this familiar relationship of calling them sons, and it's contextual. Again, he's speaking to something happening specifically within their context. Again, this, uh, this, other, this guy that's spoken of later called Diotrephus, who's coming in and he's, um, he's trying to push back on the authority and trying to break up the body, really. And here, here's my point in that. This morning, I want to talk about Missio kids in a way that is relational and contextual, okay? Um, and and here's, here's, here's what I mean by that, is that um, I want us to talk about what does it look like to create a place and an environment where our kids can experience and fall in love with Jesus, okay? Our kids, that's the relationship, all ours together, in our context, how do they get to meet Jesus and fall in love with him um, and walk in his love? I want to talk quickly about how, how did Jesus interact with kids? Because I think, honestly, this is, this is important as well as, I, as we lay this out, looking at something scripturally, practically, theologically. Uh, I want to turn um, to Mark chapter 10. I'm out of order here. Uh, but you're tracking. Yes, you're the man. Thank you so much. And so this is, this is Jesus in Mark chapter 10. You can actually see this encounter in all the other gospels as well. Um, Jesus is here talking with his disciples, and he's actually, just prior to this, he's teaching them about divorce. So in this chapter in particular, Jesus is talking about family relationships in, in, in a number of different ways. But I want to focus on where and how he talks to about children. In Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13, it says this, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And, and what did the disciples do? It says the disciples rebuked them. 
So Jesus is here with his disciples, with people. He's hanging out, talking to the adults. And all of a sudden, people started coming and bringing kids. And the disciples, the 12, they go, no, 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 get out of here. Take those kids away. Get them out of my sight. They don't belong here. This isn't the right place for them. Jesus is doing some important stuff. Jesus is teaching us, the adults, get, get, get out of here, please. There's not enough room in here. We can't have another one of those things where it's like too packed, we had to bust open the roof. No, 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 get the kids out. Like this is, this is important adult stuff. It says in verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. In other words, he basically rebuked back the disciples and he said to them, no, 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 let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then he took them, the kids, in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Well, why is this important for us to talk about this morning? See, in the first century, kids were uh, held with kind of little regard. They didn't have many rights. They were actually considered to be a nuisance. They were tolerated, but they weren't necessarily welcomed in a lot of spheres and in a lot of places. And what Jesus does right here, he does what he often always does is he flips the script, right? He flips the table. What he does is he, he basically says, no, like don't push those children away to the sideline as if they don't have importance. But he invited them to come into the center and the focus of his ministry right then. Again, relational and contextual. He's talking about family stuff to his disciples. Bring the kids there too. They're part of the family. He rebukes those who rebuked those who were trying to bring children into his, into his relationship with him. And I think Jesus does a couple key things right here. In this act of kindness, he welcomes them. He lays his hands upon them. He blesses them. And what he declares by this is equal access to every individual, regardless of age, gender, nationality, social status. He basically, he's saying, look, I came in a relational manner, in a contextual manner, stepping here into time and space, putting on flesh for everyone to get a chance to experience the love of God and to know that they are welcomed into the family of God. He's resetting, again, he's shifting a paradigm in the minds and the eyes of, of the people that he was speaking to, especially about how they viewed kids and their importance, their value, and whether or not they thought they were worthy of salvation and belonging within the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus says here very clearly, they do. They, they deserve a seat at the table, just like every, everyone else. They are worthy of love. They are valuable to God. They are created by him. They are precious in his sight. They are welcomed into the kingdom. And not only that, what else does he say? Truly, I say to you in verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like one of these children shall not enter it. <laughs> Jesus is saying that there's something about the innocence, something about the vulnerability, something about the humility, something about the posture, something about the wonder and the awe of children that unless you and I continue to hold within our heart and in our perspective of the story of the gospel, we're actually not going to be able to enter into it. Not saying that we're not saved, not saying we can't continue, but we will be stunted in a sense in our experience of the kingdom of God as Jesus wants us to experience it. Because our hearts over time as adults sometimes become too calloused or we become too focused on other things. We become too, too enamored with other things. There's greater awe and wonder and all this other stuff. But he's saying here, unless you hold the awe and wonder of a child, as you look at the beauty and the story of the gospel in my kingdom, you're actually going to be inhibited from entering into deeper levels and experiences of the reality of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring for us. I think that's important for us to keep in mind as we have this conversation this morning. So here's what I believe. What am I saying? in all of this. Practically, what I want to talk about is this. I believe that our kids 
need a space to encounter God and see their place in his big story. I believe that every single child in this family needs a place to encounter God and see their place in his big story. I was reading an article by a professor. Uh, her name is Scotty May. She's a professor of Christian formation and ministry with an emphasis on children and family ministries at Wheaton College. Uh, she's been a prof there for about 20 years. Not only that, she's got 25, 30 years of experience of doing children's ministry within a local context, nice, of, of church. And she says this. She says, children are spiritual beings and can have encounters with God through the Holy Spirit, regardless of their age and knowledge. Good. That aligns with what Jesus just taught, right? Good. This process can be aided by helping children encounter God and his great story so that they are able to respond with a sense of awe and wonder and an awareness of God's presence. Children are spiritual beings and can have encounters with God through the Holy Spirit, regardless of their age and knowledge. Here's a question for you. Do, do you believe that? Do we believe that as a community? That, that our children, regardless of, of their age, regardless of, of their knowledge, that they have the capacity to encounter God through the Holy Spirit who is at work and to give them a revelation and an understanding of God's love for them. Do we believe that? Again, I think this is a really important question for us to consider. Because our answer to this, again, frames what we believe Missio Kids is. It frames what we believe Missio Youth is. It frames what we believe is happening over there right now and the way that you and I step in and enter into that. Not only that, it frames the way that we interact and engage with our kids when we're doing our big, larger community settings. The way we think and view about them when they're in our missional communities, when they're in our homes, when we're hanging out after and we're fellowshipping and all that. If, if we don't believe that they have the capacity to encounter and experience God and his love and his big story of the gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, then we basically would relegate ourselves to the old Jewish way of thinking, go, okay, these kids, they're tolerated, but they're a nuisance. Let's get them out of here because it's for me to encounter the love of God and all of that's what all of this is for. This is important for us to think about. How do you view and understand what God is capable in his grace and in his power of doing in the hearts and minds of little ones. I want to make sure, Missio, that as we again think about children's ministry, we think about Missio Youth, that we're making sure to understand that children need to be valued and respected as equal participants in the life and faith journey that, that we're called to as, as disciples of Jesus. And I want us to make sure that we're establishing and we're creating an environment, again, where kids can explore, where they can learn, they can ask the hard questions, they can step in and understand and know that, yes, this is for them. And now I'm not talking about, just again, hear me clearly, there is the necessity for this space here for us, right? And there's a necessity for that space for them, again, relational, contextual. But again, talking about, well, how do we view and value what happens over there? I want us to be going forward to, to know that we get to partner with God in helping them and developing and feeding and fueling that curiosity, that wonder that leads to belief, that leads to faith, that leads to them having an identity as beloved children of God. I want one of the goals of Missio Kids going forward to be this, that when every, kid's walk, when every kid walks in, that they would be able to know and understand that they feel loved, that they feel accepted, and that they can have fun knowing Jesus. So I think every child deserves to come and feel welcomed and feel delighted in. 
to know I'm welcomed, <laughs> I'm loved, I'm accepted. And it's fun, this journey of getting to know Jesus. Content is important, but one of the things that I'm learning and realizing is that the greater impact on many of our kids in their stage of life is going to be about connection and community. I've been over the last couple of weeks, again, as we've been in transition, I've just been asking the different kids and asking them, what do you love about Missio kids? Because they do love it. There's a ton of fun. There's a ton of energy. I'm asking, what do you love about Missio kids? And almost every single one of them has said to me, I love that I get to come and be with my friends. I love that I get to come and be in this group of people that are journeying together. And if I'm being honest, like the pastoral trigger in me goes, what about you? It's not, the, it's not the Bible scripture. It's not the memory verse. You know what I mean? Like, where's the theological truth? You know what I mean? Like, it's not that you learn about the doctrine of the Trinity, but I've had to realize and go, no, no, like at their age, what is most important and valuable to them is this, this connection, this community with friends. And so I did ask one little girl and I said, but don't you get that at school? And she said, yeah. And I said, then what's different about here? Because you're telling me that you love coming here to connect with your friends. And she goes, because it is though that I get to talk and learn about Jesus with these specific group of friends. And I don't get to do that at school. This is a unique environment, people. This is the body of Christ. This is an environment created and ordained by God within the reality and the context and the relationships of the body of Christ that he has called us to be here. And there's something unique and special that happens there. And it is important, the content, that they get a, a true, honest, biblical foundation. But the reality is that for them, at this stage, it is far more relational and community connection oriented. And it needs to be because they're kids. So the content's important, but the community and the connection that they can feel again, that, that when they come in their love, that they can feel that they are accepted, that they can understand and know this is fun in this journey of, of getting to know Jesus. And why do I think this is important? Because again, I think what Jesus did for each and every single one of us was put on flesh, come down to our level in the incarnation, right? And speak and relate to us on a level that, that we could understand. And it wasn't all the, the theological premises that we could get at the time, but basically Jesus stepped in and said to us, you are loved. You are accepted by the father beyond what you realize and understand despite sinful and brokenness. And let's go on an adventure together. <laughs> and I want that to be what we do for our kids in a relational way on their level. And I think the importance of why I say that is this, every single one of us in this room, I believe has a part to play and can play a part in the discipleship and the understanding of these kids coming to know Jesus. Whether you're a parent or not, you can embody the love of God for these kids in a way that is unique with how God has wired you. If you are a parent, for better or for worse, you've learned skills of how to teach and explain and embody the gospel to your kids. Those of you that are in the older stages, you have gone the road before us. You have run the race well. God has blessed you with age and years. And you can also embody the love and the, the goodness of the gospel for these little kids. And we all need to understand that we have a part to play in that. And it's not always just about the content that I'm delivering to them, but it is about the relational connection and the community that they feel connected to. Because here's the other thing, as I've asked adults, what's the thing that you remember most about your children's ministry years? For some, yeah, it's like a, a, there's one Bible story maybe that sticks out, right? Because teacher, whoever was so good at that flannel graph. For some, it's a certain song, right? They just stick. Like I sing Jesus Loves Me to my kids at night still, because that for me was a song as a kid. But for most people, do you know what it was? When I say, what do you remember about your children's ministry experience for those that grew up in the church or had connection to faith community? What was it? And you're probably thinking, a lot of you are thinking it. 
there's a name or there's a person, there's somebody. It wasn't about necessarily the content, but it was about the connection made with you by someone in the larger body of Christ that made you understand you are loved, you are valued, you are welcome here. And I want you to understand your picture in the big story of God's gospel. There's something about connection, something about community. And you know what else I find out? As I'm talking to people who are not followers of Jesus, my neighbors and different people, I'm finding out most people do have some sort of connection to, to, to a spiritual journey. And again, it's not always the content that they know and understand. Sometimes that's the stuff that's like causing them to go, oh, but I don't know if God really loves me or not. But if they go, oh man, I, I do remember this one person, or I do have this one connection. I did have this faith experience once. And it was, again, it was incarnational. It was through connection. It was through community. It was somebody letting them know you are loved, you are valued, and you're invited into this, this journey of knowing God and his redemptive story and your picture in it. And I think it's really important that we, that we're able to embody that. Again, practically, I want to talk to a couple of things for, for those that are, that are parents. Um, when I say co-op versus I say daycare, what do you think of? Co-op versus daycare. What do you think of? Half the people in this room went co-op. No. And yeah, it's, 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 it's really about involvement versus non-involvement, right? It really is about involvement versus non-involvement. When we've got, for those of you that know our family, we've got a four-year-old, we've got a seven-year-old. When Otis was born and we were needing childcare, um, to my wife and I both felt called to work, uh, we, we went down the road and there was this co-op right near us. And we went in and we did the tour and we talked about it and we walked out and we just went, oh my gosh, like, while our hearts would love this, we just realized we just don't have the time. We just, we just can't do this. And so we opted with our childcare during the week to, to do daycare route. But really, yeah, co-op versus daycare, it's, 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 it's about involvement. But here's one of the beautiful things about co-ops, is I've talked to parents that have done co-ops, or as I've even just looked at what they, what they promote with a co-op. There's this parent involvement that's required. There's this engagement. But what comes from that is there's this gift of community, and there's this gift of knowing one another at a level much deeper than if you're just involved in a daycare. Like we have friends who have a kids in a co-op, and they, they hang out with the parents more. They do birthday parties. They, like, they do all this stuff together because they're in it. They are cooperatively learning and journeying in life together. In our daycare, we know a couple families and we hang out with them a little bit because we have prior relationship. But for the most part, we drop our kids off. We pick them up. We say hi in the parking lot. It's awesome. But it lacks depth of relationship. It lacks in community. It lacks in this sense of ownership of one another's kids and caring for one another's kids. It's, it's, it's a cheaper route but it does not then produce the depth of benefit. And why do I bring this up this morning? If we believe that every child in this family and in this community has been entrusted to us by God and every single one of them, regardless of their age, has the ability to encounter the love and the goodness of God and that Holy Spirit is at work and we're praying for Holy Spirit to be at work in their lives, then our view and understanding actually of Missio Kids and of Missio Youth and what we do with our kids has to be the co-op model and not the daycare model, even if in our other settings, I choose the daycare model. When it comes to Missio Kids in this family, I am 100% in for the co-op and I'm asking you all to be as well. If we could be, and this is important because if I am a parent and I view what happens over there as a daycare, that's going to affect the way that I show up on a Sunday and drop my kids off. You tracking with me? It's also going to under, it's also going to affect the way that I show up on a Sunday if I'm serving and I step in there. 
because I'm going to view it as I'm just providing daycare for someone else's kids. Well, they can go do the important adult stuff over there. Again, the context is important. The different space is important. But do you guys hear the difference? And when I look at scripture, the co-op, co-op basically means it's cooperative. It's cooperative learning. It's a cooperative experience. It's a cooperative journey together to raise kids in an educational system. And I look at what Jesus does there. What he calls us to as a church is a body of Christ interdependent upon one another, a family on mission, meaning that we are supposed to be a cooperative learning experience. The word disciple literally means learner. And that each and every single one of us need to continue to be learners together. And this needs to be, the body of Christ ought to function as a cooperative learning experience. And I think as I expound on that example, that applies not only to kids, but also applies in here. How do we view one another? Are we daycare format with one another? Hey, check in on Sunday. Hey, and then we check out. Or, or are we, do we understand we are called as a family, as a body to journey together, to be involved in one another's mess and joy and goodness, pointing one another towards Jesus. And that every single one of us has the chance and the opportunity to be a disciple who lives in the middle, receiving from those who've gone the road before and also blessing and, and giving out to those who are, who are along the journey behind us. That's the life of a disciple. You're a learner and you understand that you're called to live life in that middle space. Continually, continually. Here's, um, let me see if kids is going to wrap up pretty soon. They're going to tell me like, I can't keep going, but I want to, I want to talk one last thing because I think it's really important. Um, there's a, there's a, um, David C. Cook is a, uh, curriculum, Christian curriculum distributor, creator, and all that. They do really great trainings. They do, uh, promotional events. They do all these things. And uh, last year, um, Yang, when she was in the role, she, she sat one of those trainings and she shared with me the, the feedback from it. And they came, she came back and she shared this. She said one of the key things that, that they were talking about, uh, and this is a, a panel of people talking about all their experience over all these years, is that if you're going to have a successful kids ministry, if you're going to have successful youth ministry, they have this what's called the tripod of success of children's ministry. And here's the tripod of success. Kids, volunteers, parents. Kids, volunteers, parents. You guys know what a tripod is, right? If you take out one of those legs of the tripod, what happens? It's not going to be sustainable. What do you notice that's actually not in that tripod, which might be shocking? A children's ministry director, the paid one-person professional. I was, I was surprised. But why is that important? What, what are they saying here? You cannot have a kid's ministry without kids. We've got a ton of kids. Check. And you have to have then volunteers that are trained and engaged in there. And you have to have then uh, parents that are engaged in the process as well. Again, they're saying basically saying the co-op model is what's going to make a successful children's ministry. Engagement. Now, why is it interesting that they say volunteers and parents? Like, why are, those, why are not those the same thing? Because they're saying, again, parent, if you've got kids and you've got parents, right, we've got kids, check. If you have kids, it means you have parents, check. But what is volunteers? Volunteers meaning you have people that aren't parents yet that are also involved in this. They're saying, again, it's a holistic community perspective looking at the kids and everybody agreeing together. This is valuable. This is important. This is the next generation. This is God's heart for these, for these kids. 
Why do I share that? Here's, here's one of the things. We're, we're doing interviews right now. We're resetting the vision and all that. We're, we're prepping the space to get somebody to come in here. All that's important. But here's the thing we need to know and understand, Missio. No matter who we hire in the next family ministry director role, they are one person. We've got like 100 kids. They are one person that I will hold accountable and I will charge with developing and discipling good and solid curriculum. I will charge them and, and hold them accountable to train you and invest in you and care for you and hold different things that equip and encourage us as parents and as volunteers. But they are one person. That's why they are not part of the tripod. But we all together are part of that picture, needing to invest in our children so that they someday can come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to lean here again on, on Scotty May because of her experience. She said, ultimately, the main role of the person who oversees children's ministry is to equip the adults to shepherd children rather than actually do the ministering themselves. Why would she say that? Because it's one person and 100 kids. Those who shepherd children need to be guided to see their role as fellow pilgrims with children, though they are further along on the journey. This contrasts with the traditional teacher role. The overseer can help the adults see this shift by modeling it and helping them recall key people in their lives, even parents who taught them about the Christian life outside of the classroom. Again, I think this aligns even with what Jesus was doing in that, in that, in that moment there. He called the children to himself, but even in that moment, what was he doing? He was modeling and doing something for all the disciples and all the people that were around him, saying to them, look, it's not just about me and these kids, but what I'm doing, I also want you to do. There needs to be a paradigm shift here. There needs to be an understanding that there's, there's a beauty, there's a, there's, a, there's a God work, there's a kingdom work going on in this younger generation. And I'm inviting them and I'm calling them to be, be, be here with me. And I'm inviting you all to come, come and do this with me. Jesus was redefining some key. Here's the practice, okay? Um, as we are reestablishing and we're interviewing and doing all that stuff, we've got four classrooms, or we've got three classrooms right now. We've got the pre-K, we've got K2, we've got third through fifth. What we need in there each week practically, if we're going to have a thriving tripod successful ministry, is that we need to have 10 adults every week that step in there. Right now, I think honestly, we've got about six that are consistent and regular each week, and we're each week trying to shuffle and fill spaces. That said, we also have families in here that have young little ones. And during the pandemic, we had to shut down our, our nursery for good reason. And so as we've reopened and everything, we've opened with those classrooms. But as I talk to some of the, the families and the parents who have, have newborns and younger kids, there's a longing and desire for them to be able to, to have, a, have a nursery space. And as I hear those longings, my heart longs too that I want us to be able to open that nursery space. Because I believe that even the holding of a child and interacting with the young ones that are crawling, I believe even in that, you guys, we get to partner with Jesus. And we get to look at these little ones and say to them, as we hold those who are not our own kids, we get to say to them and embody for them the reality that you are loved, you are accepted, and I want you to know Jesus someday. And the reality is, unless we have a coming together of this community with a co-op mindset or a family on mission mindset that understands that these kids have the capacity to know and hear and understand the gospel and picture themselves in that story, we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot. And so practically, here's, here's what I'm asking. 
I'm asking that we, we, each of us would think about and pray about and go, what is, what is my call? What would be my role to invest in the children of this family? Practically, we need 10 adults each week that would say, yes, I'll step in there. If you expand that out over a month, that means that that's 40 adults that step in 10 a week, go in there and go, look, I'm going to spend time to invest in these kids, to believe that they are part of the kingdom of God right now, to believe that they can understand the work of, of the spirit, or they can experience the work of the spirit. They can understand the gospel and they can be a part of building out the kingdom of God here within our context in these relationships. We're in the process. I, I did four background checks this last week. It was so awesome. We have four new people that are stepping in. Those that are in kids ministry and volunteers have been are, are so excited about that. They get different texts back. People want to thank you. Thank you. And here's the reality. <laughs> we, we, we need more people to step in to catch a vision that just says, yeah, yeah, I believe. And I understand that what happens over there is, is, is very important. That what God's doing over there is, is a kingdom work and the benefit and the growth and the beauty that comes from being co-learners with the kids together is a powerful thing that God's called us to. And that the reopening of, of a nursery is, is important, that it's valuable, that we would remember the, the stage and the phase of life that that, 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 that is. And to partner with and care for, put our arms around even these young parents and go, you are loved, you are accepted. And we want you to experience support on this journey of following Jesus during this harder season. What's my solid wrap up? I think I just got to let it go because we have time, right? Is anybody tracking with me this morning? Is it okay to talk about this theologically, biblically, practically? Yeah. Monsieur, honestly, I do. I, I, I love you. And, and I love every, every single kid. And I, I believe it's not by accident that the families that are here and, and what, that God has entrusted us with, with all these kids. And I, I genuinely have no greater longing than to hear that every single one of our kids would one day be walking in the truth of Jesus Christ. And what I'd be asking is that we can together be praying about that in the weeks ahead, be considering that, be thinking about that, be praying for the, 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 the hiring, the, the interviews that we're doing in the coming weeks. But also be praying, considering, Lord, what, what's my role? What's the conviction that you would give me about how I participate and I engage in this family so that the children that you've entrusted us with can come to know Jesus someday? Amen? Amen.